You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, here's what I want everybody to do right now. Are you ready? It's actually good sometimes to do this in life. And that is, take a deep breath. Ready? That feels good, doesn't it? You ever do that? You ever just stop and just go, it's almost like you're like, slow down. Life is so quick. Here we are, end of a sermon series, and on to the next one, and the next one. It just seems like these sermons start running together. At least that's the way it is for me. So today I'm going to try something different. I'm going to stop. Yeah, we've come to the end of the series, but for some reason the Holy Spirit impressed upon me to do a deep breath sermon. And it's, it's going to be a review. We're going to look back on what we've been discussing. We're going to talk for a few minutes this morning about the messages that have been preached about convictions and building a, a firm foundation that we just sang upon. And you'll understand more how significant that song is to the actual response to the message this morning. So we're going to review. And we're going to pray this prayer together. And that is... We're going to ask God to download the truths of the sermons, the truths of his word, actually, into our lives. Because here's what I believe about gospelite. You see, at gospelite, we're not so much about just learning things as we are about doing what God's word actually says. In fact, in James chapter 1, in verse 22, that all convicting verse, right? To be doers of the word and not hearers only. In fact, it's interesting that word hear is a word that is used in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a prayer that Moses prayed, a prayer that Jesus also quoted in the New Testament. It starts off with these words, hear, hear, O Israel. And you, when you, you look at that word hear, you think, okay, we're, we're needing you to understand something. Focus on this. Uh, be attentive to this truth. But there's so much more in this prayer called the Shema. We're going to start with this Shema prayer. We're going to also end with it. So let's take just a moment. And to understand more about what we're trying to accomplish this morning in this review. Why are we, why are we saying this morning, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Gospelite. Hear. What does that word actually mean in the Shema? Why is that word so significant this morning? Is it just sound waves going into our ears, in one, out the other, or is it more? Take a look at that word, here in the Shema. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see 
The Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action. And that's the Hebrew word Shema. Wow, fascinating, isn't it? So much more than just hearing, hearing and listening, two sides to the same coin. And could it be that the church of the New Testament church of this era is just hearing sermons? We're going from one sermon series to the next. We're not taking time to to really ask ourselves this question. Are we doing what God's word actually says? So we're going to go back through these messages. It's going to be interesting. We've never done this before in a sermon series. Had a review. And then what I'm going to do is, at the very end, I've asked Scott to come and help me share a couple of verses to put this together, this idea of this Shema and what it means to us actually being able to keep these convictions, to have the strength to live them out every day of our lives. So the definition of conviction, let's review, shall we? It is the state of being convinced. It's, it's being fixed on something. I will build my life upon your love. I'm going to do this. I have a strong belief. The New Testament has much to say about this. In fact, in Romans chapter 14, verse 14, it is said like this. I know and I am persuaded. I mean, this is not just something I, I, I believe with apathy. No, I'm, I'm persuaded about this. In Philippians 1, 6, it's put like this. I'm just, uh, I'm sure of this. Acts 24, uh, 28, 24, and some were convinced. 2 Timothy 1, 12, I am 
convinced in that all famous verse about the love of God of those verses eight uh, Romans 8 38 and 39 but it all begins with this I am persuaded in either life nor death but I'm persuaded I believe something I'll not be shaken about this so all of that to say this a conviction is a deeply something that is deeply persuaded in my heart that I'm convinced and I'm convicted about this priority and it is important to me and it's so important that I am willing to do something about it. That's a conviction. So with that said, let's begin our review. And what I've done is, if you remember, when we started this message, it was Pastor Jeremy Horton who's going to come right now and remind us of what it means to be convicted about the sin of neutrality. What exactly is that? How can we break free in our lives from neutrality, from being in that rut? Jeremy, tell us about that. Remind us of what we we learned five weeks ago. All right. Amen. Well, this is just a small recap of that. And there were some of you here today that were present and will remember the review. And others that may not have been uh, can just hear this for the first time. But above all, what we want to kind of go back to is to understand that sometimes... One of, the, one of the pitfalls that happens in the Christian life for a follower of Jesus is sometimes you get spiritually stuck and you kind of get where you become apathetic. And when we get in that position, we don't need to stay there. There's a reason why we get there. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 8, about the Holy Spirit, He said, when He, the Holy Spirit, will come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So when it says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world, this is where we form our baseline to reference where conviction even comes from. Convict the world is the Greek word convict. It just simply translates as a verb. It just means to expose something, uh, uh, to expose a fault or to bring something to light. And essentially what happens is that when you and I, for those of us in here that have been saved by the Lord Jesus... The Spirit of God was given to us after we came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. He lives within us. And so the role of the Holy Spirit working in our life is to collide us with the very mind and will of God from the Scripture. And what we find from that is that that's where He brings conviction to our hearts. So we begin to have this collision take place to where we realize before I was a Christian, I thought this was right and this was right and this is the way I do this. And then now that I've been saved by Christ and the Spirit dwells within me, I now am realizing that I am seeing where I've been in darkness and I need to now have light on this and I need to correct this because this has been at fault. And that's what begins to renew our mind. As we are convicted, we are essentially responding to God saying, renew my mind. I'm not in harmony, nor am I in agreement with what your word is saying. I want to live in agreement, and I want my life to be in line with your will, Lord. So that renewal of mind starts leading to the sanctified life where you're living and talking and acting like Jesus. Amen? But the challenge is this. When we don't respond to conviction like that, we end up being stuck in neutrality. And so neutrality is not the absence of conviction. It's just the negligence of conviction. It's not that conviction's not there. It's that we're doing nothing about it. And when that happens, 
It all goes downhill from there. Without conviction, a life of neutrality becomes dominated by preference. But with conviction, a renewed mind is able to shout out to God, Lord, I need your help. I'm not the standard. I can't interpret the complexities of life. It's too great for me. Lord, renew me, strengthen me, fill me with your holy power that I can do things the way I know you would have me to do. Since we don't have the answers, the Word of God does. And the Word will never fail. And so Scripture will always tell me the truth about myself. It won't sugarcoat anything. It'll shoot you straight. It'll tell you like it is. Scripture is my rescue from a fleshly mind, but it is my remedy for a renewed mind. It is why and how I'm able to truly begin to walk and talk like Christ. Neutrality just paralyzes conviction if we ever relax our persuasion of Scripture. If we begin and neglect that, that's what begins to happen. So it is in the will of God that we examine ourselves And we are willingly able to do that by saying, God, I want to make sure my heart and my mind and my speech is all right in your eyes. And whatever is not, Lord, that is what I need your help in, any uncrucified fleshly neutrality that suffocates spirit-driven conviction. The Apostle Paul told us the Old Testament scripture of 1 Corinthians 10, which is the text that I preached from that specific Sunday, And in that text, we learned that he said the Old Testament Israelites, there was a group of them that decided to play a dangerous game of neutrality with God. They tried to chance it. They thought they would take the risk. In other words, they would hear what God said, but they'd do nothing about it. And the result was they fell into this neutral relationship with God. They were were sour, and they were definitely walking outside of what God had planned for them. And what we learned about that passage is that there were four ways of what it looks like to be trapped in neutrality. And the four traps that we learned from that passage are this. We learned that they were being entertained by the faithfulness of God. Just taking for granted that God's been good, but they're not changing in their convictions at all. We also learned that they were being enticed into lust. They were being entangled with double-mindedness. They were one way on Sunday and then living a different way through the week. They were double-minded. And the Bible even says there they were engulfed by pride. It was beginning to dominate their life. But what we know about that is that while those traps of neutrality are evident in Scripture and we learned what we need to break free from that, please know today, please know today, with all the heart I can say this, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is alive forevermore, He wants His people free from the trap of being a neutral, lukewarm Christian. He wants us to be free so that we can be in a position so that we will be ready to make a change. So our prayerful response to Christ is simply this. Confess the struggle of whatever the neutral area is to Christ. You know where you are. I know where I am, but we don't want to stay there. Repent fervently from that. And then make up our mind to live free and unashamed conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord and we want to stand free and live in his grace because he died and he rose again and if we're free in him we are able to make a change that will count for the glory of god amen amen brother Eric. what a reminder and i was blessed by that message i was actually gone that sunday preaching in ohio and i listened to that message on the way home and i was so blessed by the direction that god the holy spirit led jeremy to remind us of this rut this luke 
lukewarmness that so many churches have fallen into. And I, I want to say this this morning. God forbid that be said of gospel light. And this sermon series is, began with breaking free from that. Breaking free from this neutrality and understanding what it's going to take to truly live by convictions. And then we said, secondly, the second conviction had to do with being convicted about change. And the conviction was this, I will never stop changing. Do you sense the conviction in the way that I said that? I I will never stop changing. I'm not interested in neutrality. I don't want to stay the same. I want to grow as a Christian. We, we read this in Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must. I love that. It's not that, you know, you can if you feel like it. It's depending on how you wake up. No, you, you've got to do this. You, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their minds, meaning they're just wasting time. They're just spinning their wheels. Verse 22 says, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. I love that. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires. Put that off. Put it off. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then put on. So put off the old self. Put on the new self. I'm a new creature. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Conviction number two. I will never stop changing. Now, I can't speak for everybody in this room, but I can say this, that I feel like that I am in a spiritual growth pattern right now in my life. And I just want to testify that I'm excited about it. God is growing me. God is, God is taking me from one place to the next. God is showing me things that I've, I, I, I just, he's, he's enlightening me. He's opening my eyes and beholding things in a way that I, I've never truly experienced it before. And I think it all began when I recognized that I had to change. And that's the first thing we we talked about. I I must want to change. I must have a pattern for change. And then I must have a, a plan for change. We noted in the message that people change when they admit their need to change. You got to come to that place where you say, you know what? I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm in this rut. This pattern, this is not Christ-like. I want to change this. Come to that place. Secondly, we said that people change when they are, when they allow others to point out the specifics in their life. And that's a vulnerable place to be. But that's where we need to be in in, in the work of the Lord. Vulnerable. We also said this, and it's kind of like, it's a sister to that statement, and that is people change when they are accountable to others to change. We place ourselves in a position where we're okay, we're an open book. We've entrusted ourselves to a good friend that we trust to share things with and we allow them to ask us the hard questions we said that people change when they commit to it for the long haul this may have been i think the most important part of that message committing to it for the long haul determining that you know what i'm not going to come across a, a struggle and just look for a new wife look for a new job look for a new church i mean i've got to work through that i'm committed to it I, I, this week's been a great week for me. I, I, I went back and read some of the letters that I've received. Vince, this is what I was talking about, because one of them I read that you wrote me. It was awesome. And I just, I have a file cabinet. It's a personal file with names of church members from, from the past 29 years. And I file letters. And so there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. No exaggeration. I mean, I didn't want to say thousands, because I, I don't think it's thousands, but it's a couple thousand. It's hundreds of letters you can't hardly, the file, when I put a letter in there now, I'm stuffing it in almost like I'm trying to fit it in. There's no more space. 
So I went back and just dug out those letters. I read about a hundred of them. I was so blessed. Because as I read these letters, so many of them talked about, you know what, preacher, I got saved, and man, I've had struggles, and I've had ups and downs, and I've had mountains and valleys. It hasn't always been easy. But preacher, I'm determined that that God is not through with me yet. He's going to refine me and mold me and make me into what he wants me to be. And over and over and over again, I read these letters, not perfect, not that everything's always been great, but letters from people who said, in essence, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not, I'm not, I want God to change me. People change me. They commit to it for the long haul. Some have committed to be different and to change even since the beginning of this sermon series. And you've, you've already fallen. You, you've, you've taken a step backwards. Can I tell you something? The Christian life is that. It's taking one step backward and three steps forward. And sometimes one step backward, three steps forward. And sometimes one step back. Am I, am I growing? Am I growing? I mean, I'm, I'm having a struggle here, but I'm taking three steps. It's definitely not taking five steps back and one step and five steps back. and one. No, it's, it's, it is coming to the place where we do have a struggle and, and we, we have something, a sinful bent in our lives that pulls us. But there's that conviction that I want to change and I want to break free from neutrality. I want God to do something in my life. And so I will never stop changing. I will never give up. I will never retreat and go back. This is an awesome conviction to have. And when we have this conviction, we can encourage each other as a church, as families, and as individuals. Conviction number two was convicted about speech. And we said this, that I'll not excuse my speech when it grieves the Holy Spirit. No longer am I just going to be passe about profanity. I mean, if you struggle with profanity, come to the end of yourself and say, God, listen, I I don't want to grieve you. I I want my speech. I want what comes out of my mouth and my throat to glorify you, God. And I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. What does Scripture say? We read it. It was a few weeks ago. It was verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, stop lying and just tell the truth. Speak the truth with your neighbor. Why? Because we're family. We're members one of the other. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. It fits the occasion. It gives grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because he has sealed you to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can't go anywhere. He is with you until the day of redemption. And because he is with you, he he doesn't have an option to leave and walk away. Sometimes he's grieved. He's made sad. This is such a great challenge not to grieve the Holy Spirit because sometimes what we say and sometimes what we do and sometimes the way we handle things grieves the Holy Spirit. And so we gave a specific plan. And I wonder if anybody remembers the first point in that little specific plan we said to help us to, 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 to kind of overcome those moments was there, because we're going to be offended, we're going to come across, you know, people that aren't kind in situations that uh, can rub us the wrong way. Everybody, anybody experienced that this week? What was the first thing we said we should do? Anybody remember? Right here. Let it roll off your back. Thanks, sister. You got it. Number one, let it roll off your back. That was a few weeks ago. So she's not just 
maybe listening, maybe she's doing. Amen. That's a long time to remember a sermon note, right? I think 50% of what happens to me probably just needs to roll off my back. Maybe they had a bad day. I mean, hey, I could apply this in my marriage. You know, maybe, maybe I just need to be patient. I need to understand. Caroline could do the same to me. I come in, it's been a tough day, and, and, and I just wasn't exactly the way that I normally am or should be or say that I am in the pulpit. <laughs> Sometimes I, I, I could maybe rub her the wrong way, but you know what? I, I'm going to let that roll off my back. It's, it's not a big deal. It's okay. I don't, I, you know, I'm not even, that's not going to bother me. But then sometimes, it just does. Period. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let it roll off my back. So I've got to do. Secondly, I've got to let it roll on to the Lord. Now I've got to get to my prayer closet. I've got to get on my knees and cry out to God and say, Lord, man, I am, I am struggling with this offense. I mean, I, I just am struggling. And God, I, I'm turning this over to you, Lord. You've got to take care of it. You need to convict them and help them. And Lord, I'm just, I need you to help them to understand this is hurting me. And I, I just, I can't deal with it. Lord, please help. I can't do this on my own. And then every now and then, not very often, but maybe 5%, if, if 50% can roll off my back, if 45% can roll on to the Lord, then... What about those times when I'm like, dude, I, I ain't taking this no more. <laughs> I've got to say something. I've got Matthew chapter 18. It's beautiful. God says in those instances, then I go to my brother. I actually go to the person. I say, look, man, I've just got to, I love you. And I know you love me. And we got to work this out. I've had a chance to do that this week with a church member. We had a little tension in our, in our lives. And, and by the way, does that not happen when you have relationships? Sure it does. And we had a little tension. I had the chance to go to that person. We met uh, in my office. And, and 20 minutes later, guess what we did? You ready for this? We hugged it out. Is it okay to hug it out if you're two grown men? Amen. Amen. I'm okay with a good hug. We just hugged it out. Everything was fine. We, we, we tried to let it roll off our back, and, and, and we tried to take you to the Lord, but it, it, it really took number three. And it's rare, but it just, God probably, uh, sometimes I wonder if God doesn't allow things in my life just so I can be transparent and vulnerable to you and show you that, you know what, none of us are exempt from having a tough time and having to confront one another. It's part of being, and, 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 and it's, part, it's really part of the spirit of unity, of working hard to keep the spirit of unity in the church. Amen. Churches are tearing apart at the seams because of this. Did you know that? All over our nation, churches are splitting and tearing apart. I even see it, and I say this kindly and lovingly, but sometimes I see it in this, this thing we call the Southern Baptist Convention. You see this disunity, and, and it's, just, it's just a lot of words that are being said and this is not kind and it's it's not appropriate and it's almost like social media has become vomit media where we can just say everything we want to say to everybody else even if it doesn't really apply to everybody else and i worry about that becoming such a a a negative thing on the church and on the people of god and then i think about our own church and what our church covenant says and if i could just take a minute in this message to draw your attention to the screen if i could just Share with you some things that you may not know about our church. We have a covenant. Hopefully everybody knows this. We've made it clear. We've quoted from it. We've given it out to everybody. It's on the internet. It is integrated into the fabric, the DNA of our church. And yet I think sometimes we just look at it as a bunch of black ink on white paper. But here's what it says. 
Membership in a local church involves commitment to worship the Lord corporately, to edify brothers and sisters through mutual exhortation and service. Mutual. It goes both ways. We cooperate in our mission. We hold each other accountable to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord as a witness to the truth of Christ in the world. Skip that next slide for sake of time and go directly to the elder covenant obligations. I want you to see some of these. This is actually what we're growing in as elders of the church. It's, it's not easy. We're learning it together. This is something we put into the DNA of our church a few years ago. But we, we commit to oversee the growth of our members as disciples of Christ. To give an account for their growth in grace, truth, and love. To provide teaching and counsel from the whole scripture. To be on guard against false teachers and teachings. And to lovingly oversee the exercise of discipline when necessary. Why? For the glory of God, the good of the one disciplined, and the health of the church as a whole. as a whole. And then there's some commitments that you may not even know you made when you joined our church. And if you've been a member of our church for a long time and you weren't here when we actually voted on this document, you may not be aware of how beautiful this is. But this is what the church members covenant together as members of our church. This is what's going to keep our church from splitting apart at the seams, from becoming just another casualty and And this is what keeps the family together. To grow in Christ, we commit to this. And his gospel through the consistent practice of spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and scripture reading and worship and service. To live life together. To challenge one another to grow as disciples of Christ. That's what these sermon series are all about. To commit to living out the gospel. Then thirdly, to affirm by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to exercise our Christian liberty with responsibility, remembering that because of the gospel, we have a special obligation to lead a new and holy life. The next one says to seek to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, affirming that we are God's church and not our own. Therefore, our preferences, our needs, and our desires, they're secondary to the mission and vision of the church. And then to humbly and gently, look at this, to humbly and gently confront one another. This is part of what our commitment is to one another. To humbly and gently confront one another, to receive correction from one another in accordance with the New Testament understanding of church discipline and restoration, and to willingly submit to and prayerfully support the leadership of our pastors. I'm going to stop there for sake of time and just simply say, church, this is much of what this sermon series has been all about. It's been all about how we as a family can have a conviction about the words that come from our mouth, about the lives that we live, about the decisions that we make. And then we said sermon number four, we're convicted about forgiveness. And the conviction was this, that there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. And we looked at Ephesians in chapter number four and beginning in verse number 31, where scripture said to let our bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander Let all of that be put away from you. Oh, and don't forget malice as well. Put that away from you as well. And be kind. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. We said that tenderheartedness is when you're willing to feel the pain of another person versus your own pain. You actually now can have compassion on the person that hurt you. Wow. That's tenderheartedness. So be kind, be tenderhearted, then be forgiving. Why? Because Christ forgave us. And then it goes on to say to be imitators of God as beloved children, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Forgiveness is the decision, we said, in the message to release them from the obligation that resulted when they injured me, when they injured you. 
And you know, we talked about this. When I'm able to do that, when I'm able to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me, then what I'm able to do is I'm able to stay in it for the long haul. At that point, I'm able to know someone, not just for three years and then go to another church or five years and find another mate or seven years and get another job. I'm able to work through those things. And, And that's the only reason why somebody's able to stay here for a year you know what? Um, I didn't say this in the first service because it just hit me. Here's what people say, Jeremy, about their church the first six months. I love my church. It's awesome. Oh, you got to come. It's the greatest church ever. The preacher's phenomenal. And then they get to know the people. They're like, yeah, my church is okay. It's a good church. It's not bad. I mean, it's probably as good as any other church. Why? Because, I mean, the honeymoon's over. Yeah. Most of you sitting today that have been a member of our church for one year don't feel the giddiness, the, you know, the, you're not saying the same things about everybody because you found out, wow, these people are not perfect and I have to forgive. So take Dave and Sonia Chittam 30 years later. 30 years later. How many times have they had to say, I forgive? How many times have someone else had to say, I forgive them? This is how it works. My wife and I have been married for 20, uh, for 32 years, almost 33 years. And our marriage has been built on many thousands of small forgivenesses and a handful of major forgivenesses. That's why we're here. That's why we're still together. We're in it for the long haul. Why? Because of this. We're convicted about this. We're committed to forgiveness, to forgiving one another because Christ forgave us. I think of Tony and Marsha, who have been here for 30 years. Tony, you knew me the day that I got saved. I was sitting next to Tony Thomas. When I walked the aisle and accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, the first words out of my mouth were, excuse me, move your feet, I'm going out. That was Tony. I said that to Tony. Tony went, you know, he moved his legs. We were a lot skinnier back then, but he moved them. If you need to get out now, he might have to stand out, right? Yeah, I'm with you. I just offended him. Can you let that roll off your back? Thanks. Okay. And um, appreciate that. If not, pray about it. If not, I'll talk to you after the service. Okay. So I walked that aisle. I got saved. He has known me whatever 13 times 55 is. 42 years that man's known me. You know why we're still besties? (laughs) Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And it's not anything that, like when I say that the other day, I think I said it, uh, and he said, you know, I got to thinking, I really am not really, you know, it really hasn't been that bad. Exactly. There have been some, but you know, when you forgive, you tend to just somewhat forget. I mean, it just kind of like, it's, have we had any issues? Has there really been any problem? We just move on and we continue to build that relationship because don't let the story of your life be broken relationships. Don't let that be the story of your life. Learn to forgive and move on and and go on together. It's a conviction that we have because the greatest joy in life is lasting relationships. Number five, convicted about purity. We said this, I will not tolerate personal impurity. I'm determined as your pastor not to be the kind of pastor that is sketchy. I don't want to be a sketchy pastor. I don't want to be the kind of guy that has a lot of private sin. I'm living on the edge. Porn during the week and then preaching the pulpit on Sunday. I'm not interested in that. 
I don't want a sketchy life. I don't want, I don't want there to be a question about whether or not, you know, I'm, I'm in or I'm out or I'm committed or not committed. I want it to be clear that I'm not going to tolerate personal impurity in my life. This is a conviction of mine. This is something I stand upon. It doesn't mean that I'm not tempted. It doesn't mean that I'm not faced with things. It doesn't mean that at times I find myself, you know, taking a step back. But I, I can assure you that in my heart of hearts, this is an area I've been growing in. I don't want to tolerate for a moment personal impurity in my life. And so I read Ephesians 5, 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you're going to be sure of this. Just make sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure has a pattern in their lives like that or who is covetous or an idolater, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. That's a tough message. I mean, there's no way to preach that message in, a, in an apathetic way. You can't make excuse for the clear teaching of the word of God. And so now we address ourselves with boundaries. We talked about boundaries. We talked about, hey, our televisions, our computers, making sure that we're, we're addressing these issues because so much is being poured into our homes and our minds and our lives through media and through electronics and technology. So let's establish some borders. Let's remove the opportunity to sin. Let's make no provision for the flesh. Amen. Romans 13, 14. I love it. It says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, which only gratifies our own desires. And so how do we do this? Well, right before Craig got up and told us why we do it, so we can have a relationship with the king and the king is Jesus. We establish these boundaries were there to help us to focus on the king. We establish patterns of moral purity. We remove the opportunity to fail. I love number three because we've, we've said it like every sermon. We maintain accountability. I say to Scott Mercer, Scott, I need you. Speak into my life. Talk to me. Come to me if you see something that is not, that concerns you. Don't, don't. Don't just let me keep going. Tell me about it. I want to be accountable to you, Scott, to you, Craig, to you, Jeremy, to you, Mo, to you, elders, Doug, Dave, Tony, Jeremy, myself. I'm leaving one off. A Butch, Butch, right back there, Butch. I'm just naming all those guys because I, I need them in my life. I need those people in my life. And so we said, I'll not tolerate personal impurity. This is a conviction. So here we are. It's a lot. It's a lot. Five sermons. We didn't just move on, did we? We, we actually said, time out. You know what? We've heard some things, but are we actually going to do anything about these convictions? Are we going to build our lives upon a firm foundation? And wait a minute. What is that firm foundation? Well, it's found in the Shema. You say, preacher, I'm not really in the Hebrew. What is the Shema? I've asked Scott Mercer to come and help us in a deeper way, in a greater way, to understand what it means to love God this way. Scott, thank you for, for sharing. Jesus was once asked the question, what is the greatest command? Now, you all know what Jesus' response was. 
Jesus' response to what the greatest command was is the Shema. Jesus actually said, if you take all of the rules in the Bible and you gather them together. Screen right now. Let's put the Shema up there. There There we go. If we, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you take all of the rules in the Bible, the prophets, the law, and you put them in a bag and you hang it on a hook, the hook, that's the Shema. The question is, how do we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? I was preaching this sermon in the car on the way to church this morning to my kids. They got the the early version of it. And my daughter, Chloe, she's nine. She said, Dad, I thought that it was heart, soul, and mind. But you said might. And I said, well... Actually, Chloe, Jesus in the New Testament says mind, and in the Old Testament it's might. And then I said, Chloe, let me explain it to you like this. I'm going to explain it to you like I explained it to my nine-year-old. Actually, Moses didn't say this, and Jesus didn't say this, because Moses and Jesus didn't speak English. Moses spoke this in Hebrew, and what I want to do this morning is I want to highlight three of these words in the Hebrew to give us a better understanding of this verse. Are you ready? Are you you ready? All right, here we go. All right, first word we're going to highlight is heart. The word heart in Hebrew is levav. And actually, this word to the Hebrews meant much more than just the organ inside of your chest that pumps blood. Actually, levav to Hebrew people because they didn't understand the concept of a mind, they thought that the the heart was where our thoughts came from. The heart was also where our emotions came from. So you felt fear or you felt joy with your heart. David said the desires of our heart. Proverbs talks about wisdom coming from our heart. So when Moses said, love the Lord your God with all of your lavav, It was your mind, your emotions, your desires. What about this word soul? Now, this word soul is actually one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible. Many people, when you think of the word soul, maybe some Greek mythology comes to your mind. Uh, This idea that uh, it's an immortal essence of a person that's kind of bottled up, and when they die, it, like, It's let out. That's actually not found in the Bible. Actually, this word soul in Hebrew is nefesh. Do you know what the word nefesh is? It's your throat. So why in the world would Moses have said, love the Lord your God with all of your throat? Well, because in Hebrew, throat was so much more than just a part of your body. Throat was where your food went through. Your throat was where the air went through. Your throat was where words came out. So your throat or your nefesh was your whole being. Love the Lord your God with all of your throat. The third word I want to highlight is this word might in our English translations. Or in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, 
mind, which one is right? Well, actually, the Hebrew word for might is me'ad. The word me'ad simply means very or much. That's why on the second page of your Bible, on the sixth day of creation, God looked at everything that he created and behold, it was me'ad good. It was very good. In our van on the way to church this morning, I said to my, my kids, I said, kids, I love you so much. And Kara in the back seat said, dad, I love you to the moon and back. And of course, my seven-year-old Kelsey had to one-up her. She said, dad, I love you to the sun and back. And then Chloe, my nine-year-old in the front seat, in, in the front seat, she said, dad, I love you to the I love you to infinity and beyond. That is what ma'ad means. It means love God with all of your allness, with all of your muchness, to infinity and beyond. Now, let me ask you, you guys a question. How did the Israelites do in loving God with all of their heart, soul, and, and strength? They didn't do too well, did they? Just like you and I often, we fail to love God like we should. God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel. And this is what God told Ezekiel. He said, I will give you a new heart and will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to shema my regulations. To do my regulations. To hear and do my regulations. What you and I need is a new heart. We need a new covenant. We need the stony heart taken out. And we need to, as David said, create in me a heart, oh God. But how did God create in us a clean heart? That's the question this morning. Yahweh, the one true God, entered into our time and space. And gospel light, the cross of Jesus Christ is where God loved you. With all of his lavav, with all of his nefesh, and with all of his ne'ad. Convictions. And these convictions that Pastor Horton and Pastor Capace reviewed with us, they're important. But can I remind you, you can never love God until you've experienced the love of God. And when you and I see the creator on the cross, boy, a love starts to stir up within us. Gospel light, Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of your heart. He's worthy of your soul. He's worthy of all. All of your being. Friday night, 
we're going to have an opportunity as a church family to invite others to experience the love of Christ as he hung on that cross and died to pay your sin debt and my sin debt. In just a moment, we're going to have a chance to respond in worship. And and church, I want to ask you just for a few moments in worship as you listen and sing these words. Love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. But oftentimes I wonder if, if, if this is just kind of the place we do that. Well, we do it in church. These four walls, just it's comfortable. Everybody else is doing it. We get to do it with them. But this world needs to see the love of Jesus. This world needs to see that it's different when Christ Jesus comes into your life. It makes a difference and you begin to build your life on a firm foundation of his love. And these convictions are something that you want to live. Even though it rubs people the wrong way, even though we, 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 we enter into a dark world, our light begins to shine and people become to know Christ. That's how you came to know Christ. You saw his love in someone else. And so today I just challenge you, if you've never experienced the love of Christ, this is a great opportunity to come forward. That's why we have a response time. But if you are a follower of Christ, I challenge you today as we take in a deep breath. I'm going to do it one more time. It's been, it's been quite the journey these past few weeks. I don't think I'll ever be the same again. What about you? I've heard a lot. I'm ready to do something about it. The Shema. It's powerful. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father, Lord, I love you, and I thank you for this incredible opportunity to preach the gospel, to share, Lord, this review God, I've never done this before. In 20, almost 29 years, I've never reviewed a sermon series. This is the first time. God, I don't know if that means this is special. I'm sure every message has its own special place in the DNA of our church through the years. But God, there's something about today. There's something about the age we're living in. It just seems that convictions have been placed on in neutral mode and we've just been kind of you know putting it on cruise control and our christian lives are just not effective and we're grieving you god and i want to ask you to forgive us we do repent we've committed to change this morning god do something in this time may we leave this place not just stirred but changed by your grace god do something special in my life change me oh god change me Change my speech. God, give me your purity, your holiness. God, I love you and I love these people. God, may we be a church that forgives. God, may we determine to love you as you've loved us because that's the only way we know how to love is because you love us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?